Marjorie Kemp is a real character. She's, she's in some ways my favourite of the of the English mystics because you get you get to know her as a person if you read her life. You really get to know her. Um, so, although I think you can learn more spiritually maybe from the other English mystics, Marjorie is the one you end up kind of knowing best. <laughs> She was um, she was born around um, well, I think thirteen seventy three, and lived till fourteen forty. So um, it's about the same time as as Julian of Norwich, and that's quite a long time to to live at that time. Is it was a very tricky time. Although the the, the plague had ended by then, but it was still tricky time in medieval Europe um, and she she was illiterate she didn't write so the book the book of Marjorie Kemp is not written by her it's dictated um, by her and written by some clerk priest um, so but it, it has this sort of um conversational quality of what she remembers of her life but the, the structure and the way it's put together is probably not by her and the way it's put together is the book and the interesting thing is that, that this book was only um, discovered in 1934 it was um, not known before that there was uh, her, Marjorie, Marjorie Kemp was known of because of a a very small uh, seven-page uh, treatise which survived from the Middle Ages, which um, uh, was printed in the in the 16th century, and it it contained little seven sort of little bits of of the book, um, and the more sort of spiritual bits, meditations. Uh, on Christ, and that survived the Middle Ages. Um, the book was uh, sort of was hidden away, and, and was d- discovered in in 1934 in a, some sort of dusty monastic library or something. <laughs> it's strange how something like that could have just not been noticed. Um, and you get a very different picture. I mean, she was known. The, the seven-page treatise described her as a uh, as a devout anchoress, a hermit. And the book revealed that she was far from being an anchoress. <laughs> she was a traveller and a married married woman with fourteen children, <laughs> and, uh, and was um, constantly on the move. Um, so this was quite a find, um, and it is the the earliest autobiography in the English language. Um, although I wouldn't. It's not what we now understand as autobiography, anyway. But it did because basically it's a, it's a spiritual meditation on her, on the things that are happening in her life, and she's there. Are lots of sort of spiritual <coughs> conversations with God and all this sort of stuff. But and it doesn't have the um, uh, a very sort of strict chronology or time sequence in, in it. 
Do we know when she dictated it then? Towards, towards the, end, the of end of her life, yeah, because it contains um, contains stories up until when she was sixty, which basically, if she if these are the dates of her life, she would have died at sixty six. Yeah. Fourteen children, sixty-six. Yeah, and and the story of her life too is quite something. So, um, it has it sort of jumps around a bit, and there's no. So in some ways, it's not it's not really an autobiography. It's more sort of little windows into her life. But you get the story. Basically, she was she was married at the age of twenty. She had fourteen children. Um. And at the age of 40, she um, persuaded her husband to a vow of, of chastity. Fourteen <laughs> 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 <14 children. laughs> um, And throughout the book, she, she, comes, it's, she, she was a very controversial figure. And she had very loud weepings and cries, um, which were so loud that they divided priests, congregations and fellow pilgrims into some supporters and enemies, those who wouldn't, couldn't stand her weeping and crying and those who appreciated it. Um, she was in danger of being burned as a, as a heretic. Um, uh, Lollards, again this is in the, the time of the Lollards and she was constantly being sort of dragged up as a Lollard <laughs> and constantly having to get herself off the hook um, but her, <coughs> her practice is very orthodox and she was very uh, into particularly Eucharist and so she got, got herself off the hook quite easily but her lifestyle was very um, uh, very unconventional um, so she was Sometimes in trouble. Um, she came from a sort of middle class family in Lynn, but she couldn't read or write, which is interesting. So, um, you know, reading and writing was very much a, only um, very small educated elite, and um, and women on the whole would not have been able to. Now, Julian was able to. She obviously had a, a more thorough education. Um, anyway, so the book, um, there's, there's little, it's, it's about the story of her life, there's little, not very much observation of, of the outer world or society <coughs> in her time, it's the story of her life, and she records right at the beginning the, um, her madness, which she had at the birth of her first child, she had, she the first child she went quite mad and had to be in bed and everyone thought she totally lost the plot and um, but she there was a uh, Christ came to her and she was healed and sane again but anyway she she then still sort of continued as quite a um, an active lady she started a, a brewery brewery business brewing beer in Lynn she came from Lynn and so she was brewing the beer <laughs> for the whole town. Um, and she did this for many years, but then, then the business um, went bankrupt for some reason. <laughs> 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 so 
So um, basically, the, this this second um, difficulty led to the conversion, the final giving of our life to God, and the conversion. So she describes this conversion to God and how how it, it took more than than just being healed of her illness. Very unusual for a woman to be a businesswoman. No, no, yeah. Apparently, there's, there's hints in the book that her husband was was running up debts constantly, and that she had to do something to to pay the debts. <laughs> I think she had. She had. And the children as well. So there, and then a lot of the book in the in the early chapters, which I think are very amusing, are the difficulties she had with her husband, in in terms of. Uh, this vow that, that um, <laughs> she sort of tried to convince him of, and then he was was sort of loath to to give up his conjugal rights. And um, there's lots of stories about how uh, she tries to persuade him and doesn't work. And then God sort of lends a hand and and um, and, and terrifies um, the husband every time he. He sort of tries to make moves. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that he's frightened off. No, I don't know how he doesn't really doesn't really go into how she how he was terrified. Yeah. And there's um there's a final when they, he finally agrees to a vow and then then some, a year or so later. Uh, she, there's, um, um, he <laughs> threatens to resume his conjugal rights while travelling on a sultry June day in Norfolk, <laughs> and he's, um, she has a lot of trouble sort of fighting him off, and in the end has to uh, make a deal with him that um, she'll pay off some more of his debts, and she'll resume. Well, one of the things she 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 refused to eat meat. She was a first recorded vegetarian, I think. And this used to drive her potty, her husband potty as well, because she wouldn't cook any meat. So she he, she agreed to cook meat. So anyway, and then he finally agreed that he, on those conditions, he would um, no longer insist on his conjugal rights. <laughs> so there's there's um, quite some sort of comic stories. The husband comes out quite well though; he's quite sweet in the end. Um, so that, and then the large part of the book is about her pilgrimages. She went on pilgrimage on her own. Well, often the company, never with her husband, her husband stayed in Lynn. But she, she took off and, and went with pilgrims. Took first originally to Rome, and then that wasn't far enough. So then she went to Jerusalem to visit the holy places. <laughs> Uh, this sounds like an 14th century hippie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <coughs> Trapes around, and then she comes back from Jerusalem and she sets off straight away to Santiago in Spain. And goes to Santiago. And then in the last, when she's 60, at the end of the book, she goes to to Germany to. to um, but that's more of a family thing to go and uh, bring her daughter in law back who'd been living with them and uh, her son had died. And, to bring, she felt she should bring the daughter-in-law back to Germany, but she then potters around Germany visiting various pilgrimage places, and then comes back in immense difficulty in her early sixties. So a remarkable lady, 
and the and the um, other big theme of the book is um, is her uncontrollable tears. She was constantly weeping and wailing, and very loudly, sort of in the middle of sermons, start howling and this would <laughs> 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 sort of cause consternation wherever she went. Um, she was the sort of person who seemed to drive everyone potty. Uh, but she, and then recorded also as her conversations with God. She seemed to have these very chatty conversations with God, well, mainly God talking. Her. She would sort of grumble about something, and God would sort of answer her in long speeches about how much He loved her, and that was the main thing she knew. It was in some ways similar to Julian. The the, em- the message is you know in, in the revelations of divine love. And the whole message is how much. God loves us. I mean, that's really the whole point of Junian's writing, and and it's the same with Marjorie Kemp. Everything is is. I mean, it's expressed more personally is how much God loved Marjorie, <laughs> but it's uh, to also gen- generally everyone. So that's the the body of the book. Um, okay, so I'll pick up some of the themes. Uh, travel well she starts um, from 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 the moment of her conversion she starts visiting holy people around Norfolk this is the beginning of the travel bug she obviously didn't get enough inspiration from her family or local church so she potted around visiting um, local sort of holy people and um, that included Julian Julian of Norwich in Norwich and there's a, a chapter where she records her visit to Julian and her conversations about, I mean she's always talking about her the fact that she's constantly weeping and wailing and crying about thing, about about whenever she's praying she imagines Jesus dying and she starts crying and all that stuff and Julian basically says this is, this is all from God and should be him it's a gift of grace, which I think was the, not the same message she got in her local church. <laughs> <laughs> so, so she had visions. Actually, yes, I'll get on to that. Yeah, the, the visions. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were more imaginations than vision. But anyway, I'll get on to that. Yeah. So, but she's not a, a travel writer, and again, she makes no. She's not concerned with the world out there. Um, I mean, it's like in the Jerusalem. She's somewhat descriptive of of the holy places, somewhat, but pretty, basically, more descriptive of of um, the sort of encounters she had. And the San, the travel, the, her journey to Santiago. She doesn't. Uh, she just says records how many days she was there. And that's it. But she records again uh, her troubles. Travelling there, she loves recording the, the the journeys and the troubles she had. In this case, in in Bristol, she she was someone who was not popular on the whole on the on the Pilgrim Trail. <laughs> um, she people are constant. She's the sort of person you you know some of them. The one the sort of when they come in the room, everyone else tries to get out. <laughs> And this was mainly because of her incessant weeping, and also 
accident. She she felt that the Lord had told well the Lord did tell tell her according to one of the conversations to to dress in white for the sort of white robes and they thought this was very eccentric, especially when they find out that she was known she wasn't a nun. So um this used to wind people up for some reason. Um so she had trouble um setting off to Santiago and no one wanted to have her in that boat <laughs> constantly <laughs> trying to sort of get rid of her. Anyway, she gets. Did she cry and weep for anything else other than how it just been a cry thing, or she she weeping as an intercessory for things? Yes, it would be uh, for her for her sins, for the sins of other people, for the passion of Christ, for. Um, those those things. Well, for for not for, for not being in heaven, she wanted to be in heaven always, and um, she weeped the fact that she wasn't in heaven yet. Um, Was everything like prayers of baptism? What they call prayers of baptism, you know, the constant kind of crying as if you're kind of reliving your baptism. Really, the gift of tears is um is you get it in Christian literature quite a lot in the monastic thing and yeah maybe it's a sort of a purification thing like baptism and a, and a death thing like baptism but she had it in a in a sort of abundance, in abundance. <laughs> <laughs> and the howling so she, <laughs> she roared at the top of her voice <laughs> yeah <laughs> must have been exhausting. Yes, I think yes, she did recall how she was exhausted. Mm. Mm. But she'd been sitting she would traipse around to to get her sermons and then be driven out of the church. <coughs> did she say how old she was when she started chanting when we had the children oh, grown yes, up or? this was soon after her conversion, which was around the age of forty. Um, so the children would be well, children would have been relatively young, and she doesn't talk much about her children. She's <laughs> kind of, my husband must have had to look after them. <laughs> would you say that it was rather fortunate to have lived at that time? Because today she would have been given Prozac and locked up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Been no. But they were, in that, in that time, they were. Um, she she was locked up and she was but not because of mental illness but because of the the lollard thing wherever she went people thought she was a lollard and she was she records coming back from Bristol in, in Leicester I think it is she the mayor of Leicester was convinced she's not has her locked up and then she records the other thing is she's terrified of of, um, of um, threats against her chastity so wherever she goes she's constantly afraid afraid of any sort of um, Rather, some sort of dangerous men. <laughs> so she records how. How? <laughs> so in, in in Leicester, she's locked up. And the steward of the of, she records how for three nights she couldn't sleep because the the, the steward of the jail was was um, making sort of funny eyes at her, and she was terrified. Um, and then she. She has to prove her orthodoxy, so she's dragged up in front of the Archbishop of York, and then, and then, so it, it's, there is she has to. Kind of accept this condition as a gift of tears, as a blessing, then, would it? 
Well, <coughs> yes, but but not everyone. I mean, even I'm just um, you know, Bishop of York, you have got it. Um, what does he say? Um, even the Archbishop of York said, um, "Why do you weep, so woman?" <laughs> and she replies. Sir, you shall wish one day that you had wept as sorely as I. <laughs> She's quite good at her sort of replies. Um, so it obviously was the gift of tears was was appreciated, but she she wept rather loudly, and that caused trouble. So anyway, the Archbishop of York then sent her to Canterbury to get a final thing, a certificate saying, I am not a lollard to this woman has been tested by the Archbishop of York and the Archbishop of Canterbury. <laughs> and she's, her credentials are clear. And then she walked around, wherever she went, she held up this little certificate, just saying how kosher she was. Um, and then at her last travel at German, to Germany, when she was 60, um, her daughter-in-law, she travelled against her confessor without telling her confessor, so she got in a lot of trouble for that. And um, she was abandoned by everyone when she, after she got there, the daughter-in-law was embarrassed about her to her family, so she was abandoned. And then tried to get people to to help her back, and then no one would stay with her. So she ended up having to walk sort of across Germany and across Netherlands and and oh. to get a boat and um, sleeping rough and hardly sleeping because wherever she slept she was terrified of any strange men in the neighbourhood. <laughs> so so um, her travels were, are, are a record of, a, of quite an achievement, I think. Um, then there's, then there's the cont- her contemplation and these are a lot based on visions but they're not... There is a, a sense... Like Julian's visions are very much coming, given to her. There is a sense that, that, that for Marjorie these are more imaginations. She's imagining, but in such a real, <coughs> the imagination becomes so real that she's totally part of it. So she starts meditating, particularly on the Passion of Christ, and then she gets into the meditation. Suddenly she's totally in it, and she's living. And then she describes what she's doing and 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 what Jesus says to her and this sort of stuff. And um, often a lot tied up with Mary. She's sort of handmade to Mary. So wherever Mary is, she has these, she's kind of, Marjorie's sort of bustling around, helping, doing this and that, and kind of, and weeping all the time in her visions. And, and but Mary has a lot important role for her. <coughs> and, um, and then this, this thinking and talking of, about heaven, she's constantly, she, she once had a sort of, Again, like, like Richard Roll, she heard the angels singing. And from that moment onwards, the music of heaven, she, she longed to be in heaven. And she was weeping that she was, she was not there. Um, she was... Um, another little thing. One, some of her neighbours says, why do, you talk so, why do you talk so of the joy of heaven? You haven't been there any more than we have. <laughs> Constantly rabbiting on how lovely it is in heaven. Uh, so that, and then these meditations she has on the life of Christ, the humanity of Christ. And again, she's part of this popular, not certainly not apophatic, popular sort of devotion at that time on the humanity of Christ. But they're triggered by visual 
which is very visual. They're triggered by visual scenes, like, like she travels to Jerusalem to see the place where Jesus had died and where his body had been laid. And every thing she sees triggers some big meditation. But also sort of the sacrament every time the Eucharist is raised in the, in the Mass. And, and also ordinary things. She can walk down the street and see a mother holding a baby. And suddenly she's off on one of her things of, of Mary and holding Jesus and this that and the other and um, anyone she couldn't she couldn't see a, any person or any animal being beaten without wailing for days about the, the passion of Christ because it triggered off the whole thing whenever she came across something like that um, animals it was interesting in the mind she wouldn't eat meat because she saw animals being killed and it, it just hurt it, it, it's for her, it's like an experience of Christ being killed. And then she has these conversations with the Lord, where normally the Lord's very comforting. He normally comforts her after she's been through a lot of difficulties on her travels. Um, she, the Lord finally speaks to her and explains and comforts her and tell her she's, tells her she's loved, which she, he had to do because... <laughs> Everyone else seemed to say the opposite. I mean, she was, she was rather, um, she was somewhat sort of um, the butt of people's jokes and, and um, slander and and bullying in some ways. Well, she was in any group, she'd be the one that everyone would sort of blame for something. <laughs> Poor Marjorie. Is there any sense of self pity about this? There, I mean, she doesn't. Well, Self-pity. No, not no, not really. Every now and then, I mean, there is a... Does she recognise that she is a ridiculous figure in a way? Well, partly there is a... I think the main thing which comes through is she's very... Um, she's very unself-conscious. She's never embarrassed about situations which are sort of terribly embarrassing. And she gets on the boat and everyone leaves and she just says... And I never knew why. <laughs> she kind of doesn't even know what's going on. She's got, and the, the pitying, well, only when situations get really, really rough and, and things. And she would be more and more, more calling on the Lord to help her. Did, did you, you get a sense that she sort of lost her home and didn't have any sort of relationships with her family? Properly again, yeah. You know, well, so she sort seen... of lost soul in, in some ways after yeah. she left home. Well, she well, she used to go back always to Lynn <coughs> between her travels, and and her husband was used to accompany her on some of the more local sort of <laughs> travels. He became a pious soul at the end, so he used to join her. And then at one stage, they lived separately because of people were slandering, saying that they. They weren't living chaste, and it was all. Then, so she decided out to live separately in order to squash those rumours. But anyway, she, and then he fell ill, and then for the last years of his life, she looked after him. And um, at first, this was very irksome to her because he was quite. But then, typically, Marjorie, she suddenly has this vision of actually her husband is is looking after her husband is like looking after Jesus. 
so she starts looking after him as if she's looking after Jesus. But it's, it's quite funny because she's, she's married to Jesus and the husband is kind of somewhat forgotten. It's kind of, and he, he's only sort of accepted back when he, when he kind of fits in. So I, was, I feel a bit sorry for the husband. But it's part, this medieval, the whole Middle Ages had this, and this is why one of the positive things of the Reformation was, the, was this uh, fear of, of sexuality and, and, and marriage being very much a, a secondary state, an inferior state. Um, so that this whole thing, this sort of trying to live a chaste life and this, and this sense of uh, falling short because she was married was is part of the times. Yeah. It was rather sad, rather sad that it couldn't have been. Um, but it was very much uh, the, 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 the sort of religious sort of mindset of the Middle Ages, uh, which changed, thank goodness. Well, sometimes lingers in the Catholic Church, but anyway. <laughs> 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 um, Uh, well, she wasn't particularly religious until until one was with this after the birth of her first child and she went mad and then she was healed with a vision and then after her business collapse then she became very religious but she wasn't young when she was younger she wasn't at all this, this, this being a, a social outcast is really a form of asceticism it's, and it's, it's more intense going off and, 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 and living in a desert, isn't it? Yeah. Well, this is why I feel. It's not a physical yeah. separation, but a, yeah. a rejection <coughs> of after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I think that's it's terrific. Yeah. She's like the, she's like the, the um, this like the poor in the gospel and how, how um, those who received her received Christ and those who, who didn't receive her, didn't. I mean, she's like that. I feel when I read the book. Like some sort of ambassador for Christ, but uh, difficult. I mean, you can imagine at times she would have driven most people party. But somebody thought she was significant enough to write this book. Yes, well, she was. Oh, yes, she. Well, she was quite famous during her life, at the end of her lifetime. Quite famous because she'd been everywhere and could talk to all the had been up in front of all the archbishops and and she used to. Uh, she didn't mince her words when something she didn't approve of. She, she would tell everyone. And when she went, and also jokes. There was a she records at the end of her book a, uh, a joke when when she went to London. Someone said something. Anyway, the story started going around, but she denies that she was at table once and she was offered a um, some fish and some um, I don't know some cheapish fish, and she said. Um, uh, frail fresh, frail flesh, you shall have no more of these treats. And she turned down the, the fish, and, and then, and then later on, she went and got a much more a salmon or something, and started eating the salmon. <laughs> anyway, this story circulated around, and it was a big joke. Everyone was laughing about it, but then Marjorie denies it. But it so she became, she was sort of generally well known. Dictation, yeah. And there are lots of conversations and little... So it's interesting, isn't it, that she, you know, it seems to me to be quite a female thing to be able to sort of laugh at yourself yeah. 
and to, you know, because she's putting that sort of self-awareness in, isn't she? A bit like mm. in Etty, Etty's diaries, the spiritual mm. diaries, mm. an incredible um, sensitivity and um, to your own kind of failings and weaknesses, mm. which is very, very sort of, uh, it strikes me as being sort of more female, that, rather than taking yourself sort of intensely seriously, mm, no, which is potentially more masculine. Yeah. Um, and she's remarkably um, unself-conscious and um, and and then the most the thing which really convinces <coughs> me about her and is that she never holds anything against anyone and she never speaks badly of anyone she's constantly and if someone who treated her badly is in a difficult situation she helps she helps them out as if nothing had ever happened and she never she, every now and then she says well they they got the they got the the the, the, the sort of god so well, it's one there's one particular friar who who who's um has something against her and says she's a fraud and it's the devil working in there and all this stuff and she's patiently puts up with this for years and then at the end she says well he he um he got his comeuppance because he was he was discovered to some fraudulent thing himself and but she, she doesn't go into the details and she doesn't dwell on it. It's just a sort of passing remark. <coughs> so she's not, she's not bitter. There's no bitterness and no anger. And, um, and she's praying for everyone all the time. I mean, she's a saint. There's no doubt she's a saint. And, and I get a bit annoyed by... If you read most books, I study the English mystics, most sort of academic books, call her a half-mystic or a kind of... Um, it's not quite genuine, and it goes on, you see. And I think it's, it's um, she is, which is absolutely genuine mystic, but um, expresses it in a, in a, in a different sort of way, not in a. Yeah, the other thing that strikes me is, is it's inwardly directed, isn't it? It's, she's not taking her cues from what people around think. No. It's yeah. It's yeah, it's revelation. Yeah. But she will. I mean. No, I'm just saying the next thing was their influences because she was influenced by um, by she used to love because she couldn't read but she got people to read to her she had various people and she loved Richard Rolls' Fire of Love she loved Walter Hilton's book which was already popular at that time so she would co- often refers to Hilton's book there's one bit where she's going on about how she feels that she's meditating on the humanity of Christ always, and she feels she should be making that next step which Hilton describes about going from the humanity into the divinity. All this is within her soul. She, she's like Hilton in there. The meditation on the humanity is within her soul, but she should start to see the divinity through the humanity. But she says she, the humanity draws her so much that she can't do it, and she feels really bad. But then then um, the voice comes. The, the message comes from the Lord, saying that, that, that my humanity and my divinity are one, and, and that mm-hmm. by meditating on my humanity, you are meditating on divinity. But so she she likes Hilton, although she doesn't. The apophatic thing is is not in in, uh, and she never. There's no reference to the cloud, but she would have. She wouldn't have taken to the cloud. 
Um, but she's also very influenced by women mystics, especially Bridges of Sweden. She refers quite a lot to what she called Bride's Book, which is Bridges of Sweden's story of her life, as who was also a married mystic, and in, in the transition in Bridget's life from being a wife to being a bride of Christ. That's very much um, under, influenced Marjorie's sort of understanding of becoming a bride of Christ. And then the Germany, she, she um, travelled in Germany, and there may well have been the influence from uh, some of the, when the Beguines, there's Mar Margaret of Oynes, some Beguine who apparently weeped incessantly, who's referred to in this book, and mainly by, not by Mar Marjorie, but someone, there's a debate over whether Marjorie's gift of tears is, is true or false, and, and then someone says, well, Marjorie, this, this Beguine on the continent had the same thing. So there are other examples. In Catherine of Siena, with her marriage with Christ. Um, so it's not, but but a lot of it comes from from within herself. But she's she mixes. She likes to have a, a whole body of kind of spiritual directors and confessors and and people, and she goes traipses from one to the next and gets sort of confirmation. So she's she's not very secure in herself about uh, what she's doing in a way. And she, but she feels called mainly because of the, the peculiarity of it and so she needs to sort of get it confirmed quite a lot um, because it's peculiar things in the Lord also. Do you think her mental illness actually continued to a degree? You mean or the madness she had when yeah, she had a child? Was, yes, there was a, an element we with our knowledge today, yeah. would, would say that there was an element Maybe. that actually continued, you know, never actually mm. disappeared. Maybe. Does I mean, anybody else feel that? Yes, because of all the yeah. children she'd had. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Or even post traumatic stress. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. 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 And she managed to set up a brewery business after that initial madness, so she must have been relatively the same, but I can see how some of it may well have continued in some way. And she might have been to a bipolar. Yeah. 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 What would be seen as, you know, special gifting or grace in a in, yeah. in a man may well be called madness yeah. in a in a I mean, the word the term madness isn't used about yeah. it's only used about when she the initial thing when she had after her first child. There's no sense that Marjorie um well yes, people have thought she was potty, but she's she's doesn't have any sense that she's mad. She's worried Mm. 
manic depressive because it's high for the lows, but it isn't necessarily so. That could be the, the contradiction of, of, of you know, it's, I, I think there are lots of people who probably soon even nowadays could be, other than saying, probably a lot spiritual. Many of whom decide that they have seen God. And I had a friend who suffers from this bipolar illness who could tell me with a perfectly straight face mm -hmm. just a few months ago that he was talking to Jesus at the back of the church in person. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was, but you know. You don't know he wasn't. True. But you know, the likelihood is that he wasn't. Yeah. The outcome would suggest that he wasn't. Mm -hmm. What, what is interesting that she used a kind of uh, active imagination mm. to get into mm. um, the, the, the spiritual visions, and mm. that that is a very valid way. Mm. It's a valid. I mean, the Ignatian, the whole Ignatian uh, mm. imagining of being uh, in in various scenes. Mm. In, in Jesus's life is who is completely in the, the legitimate way mm. into a, a, a genuine spiritual experience. Mm. Or you can say then her imagination was a God-given gift as well. Mm. Oh, yes. 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 oh yes. Well, if she persuaded the Archbishop of York and Canterbury to give her an okay, she can't be completely. Well, exactly. <laughs> I think as a, as a well, there were many sort of um, single sort of women sort of wandering around. You tend, if you're a woman, you tended to be an anchorite or something, but there's sort of single woman wandering around and then just she stood out because of her, one of her because of her clothes and because of her loudness <laughs> weeping what does that have to do with Stephen well she just stood out and then the people say you know you, 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 you pick on the, the, the one scapegoat the old one out who's and you, and you but, but obviously when she was interrogated but I mean at the same time in Germany a single woman would be arrested <coughs> she yeah. turned up in a strange town and she was put in jail. Yeah. You know, why aren't you with your husband or not? Yeah. Very challenging behaviour. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm wondering how, um, if, are there any other source material? But because if this is, if the main source material is her own dictation, then mm. this, it's difficult to know, to be aware of whether, how sensitive she uh. was. Because obviously she wasn't very secure, as you're saying, because she's taking enormous risks and bravery to yeah. actually follow that call out. Then you're perhaps, you know, she's making, um, she might be slightly paranoid, she's sort of oversensitive to what yeah. people think. You know, she's, she's not making a record of where people respect yeah. her greatly because mm. that's not appropriate. So mm. it's quite difficult, isn't it, just to build a picture with such a sh an arrow. Mm. But she's mentioned in other places, so that's yeah. Julian, Julian mentions her. Does she? Yeah, she thinks it's Julian. Yeah, maybe she's right. Yeah, I don't think so. She used to ask, I believe before she went to Germany, she went to Norway. 
Oh, yes. No, she, she was on the boat, was blown off course uh, uh, and landed in Norway. But she was on her way to Germany. On her way to Germany, yeah. So she's in her troubles on the sea. She hated going by boat. She's got terribly seasick. <coughs> and she was terrified of the water. Um, I wanted just to, to read um, a few little bits just to give a, a feeling of her writing. Um, the things to note are. Um, because I mean, it's her writing is not her, it's her dictation is the is the spoken word, uh, how important that is for someone who's illiterate, and it comes through. The mo- a lot of the book is in conversation, conversation with other people, conversations with God, and um, she, and uh, when she's abroad, the difficulty she has with language because she can't read and she can't understand what these people are saying, and she has a lot of difficulties when she's abroad um, so so much so that she prays for a miracle that she can under, that this confessor can understand her and, and that she can understand the confessor and it happens <laughs> yeah, but she's obviously had trouble but then also the amazing capacity of the, of the spoken word to stay in the memory she quotes for example the, the meeting with Julian Norwich she quotes what Julian said to her, large, and a few paragraphs of, of stuff. And it, it so sounds like Julian from the, the Revelations, you just feel that she must have really remembered the whole thing. So amazing memory she had. Um, and, and then the, her clever reposts. So she's very good at recording all these sort of conversations where, where she gives a good answer and she loves sort of presenting on like like um, when she's weeping in this church over, over, over some uh, memory of the Passion of Christ over some crucifix, and the, the priest comes up to her and says, Woman, Jesus has, is long since dead. <laughs> <laughs> and she replies, Sir, his death is as fresh to me as if, ever he, had, as if he had died this same day. And so I think it ought to be to you and to all Christian people. She's very pleased with that. <laughs> and then when, when some, a group of women <coughs> say to her, um, woman, give up this group of well, well-meaning women who are concerned about her. Say, woman, give up this life that you lead and go and spin and card wool as other women do. And do not suffer so much shame and so much unhappiness. And here she gives a clever reply which expresses her sense of her vocation. I do not suffer as much sorrow as I would do for the Lord's for our Lord's love, for I only suffer cutting words, and our merciful Lord Jesus Christ suffered hard <coughs> strokes, bitter scourgings, and a shameful death at the last. So she um yeah. So, anyway, I'll read um, a few little bits. Um, one is is just to give a, a taste. One of her more autobiographical things, and one of more uh, more meditative things. 
Um, you know, I, I have some difficulty. I wanted to choose one. We have some difficulty choosing. I've turned this. It's a little bit risky, this one, but I, I love it because it's, so, so it's quite early on in her life. Um, so she's still somewhat sort of finding her way. But, but um, she's overcome. She's, she's got the vow of, of chastity from her husband. She's lived chaste for, for a number of years. And she's kind of... And then suddenly all these, these temptations come, these sort of sexual temptations come. For, uh, and she, she reports them with, with, with no embarrassment and, and accepts the uh, awkwardness of, of herself in this situation, um, which I think is beautiful. Anyway, uh, so it goes... And so he, this is God, laid. So basically, she. What's happened is she's um, she's she's been delivered of 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 um. Uh, anyway, maybe I'll read it from the beginning. So, for two years, when this creature was thus drawn to our Lord, she had great quiet of spirit from any temptations. She could well endure fasting; it did not trouble her. She hated the joys of this world. She felt no rebellion in her flesh. She was so strong that she thought that she feared no devil in hell, for she performed such great bodily penance. She thought that she loved God more than he loved her. She was smitten with the deadly wound of vain glory and felt it not. You see, it's all sec- it's written, this whole thing is recounted in the third person. You see, because, so, um, Smitten by the wound of vain glory, uh, she felt it not, for she desired many times that the crucifix should loosen his hands from the cross and embrace her in token of love. Our merciful Lord Jesus, Lord Christ Jesus, seeing this creature's presumption, sent her, as is written before, three years of great temptations, one of the hardest of which I intend to write as an example to those who come after that they should not trust in themselves nor have joy in themselves, as this creature had. She calls herself the creature. <laughs> this creature. But, well, we understand it in those derogatory terms, but it would have been understood. It's a theological statement, calling yourself a creature. It's in relation to creator. So I don't think we should read into it what immediately comes to mind. Um, not trust in themselves or have joy in themselves, as this creature had. For undoubtedly our spiritual enemy does not sleep, but busily probes our temperament and attitudes, and wherever he finds us most frail, there by our Lord's sufferance he lays his snare, which no one may escape by their own power. <clears throat> so he laid before this creature the, slayer, the snare of lechery, when she thought that all physical desire had been wholly quenched in her. And so she was tempted for a long time with the sin of lechery, in spite of anything she might do. Yet she was often shriven, she wore a hair shirt, shriven is confession, she wore a hair shirt, <coughs> did great bodily penance, um, and wept many a bitter tear, etc., etc. And she had no, and in all this time she had no desire to have intercourse with her husband, and it was very painful and horrible to her. In a second year of her temptations, it so happened that a man whom she liked said to her on St. Margaret's Eve before Evensong that for anything he would sleep with her and enjoy the lust of his body, that she should not withstand him, for if he might not have his desire that time, he said, 
he would have it another time instead, so she should not choose. And he did it to test what she would do, but she imagined that he meant it in earnest and said very little in reply. So they parted then and both went to hear Evensong, for her church was dedicated to St Margaret. This woman was so troubled with the man's words that she could not listen to Evensong, nor say her pater noster, nor think any other good thought, but was more troubled than she ever was before. The devil put it into her mind that God had forsaken her, or else she would not be so tempted. She believed the devil's persuasions and began to consent because she could not think any good thought. Therefore she believed that God had forsaken her, and when even song was over, she went to the said man in order that he should have his will of her, as she believed he desired. But he put forward such a pretense that she could not understand his intent. And so they parted for that night. This creature was so troubled and vexed all that night that she did not know what she could do. She lay beside her husband, and to have intercourse with him was so abominable to her that she could not bear it, and yet it was permissible for her and at a right time if she had wished it. But all the time she was tormented to sin with the other man because he had spoken to her. At last, through the importunings of temptation and a lack of discretion, she was overcome and consented in her mind and went to the man to know if he would then consent to have her. And he said he would not for all the wealth in this world. <laughs> he would rather be chopped up as small as meat for the pots. <laughs> so either she misunderstood the whole thing. <laughs> Is the last book. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Unfortunately. Oh, I read the wrong one. Is that, I didn't. I didn't read them. Oh, no. You have to read the. You have to read the. Um, it's very vivid. Yes. Yes.